that's the goddamn point here is that when we stop making this journey about ourselves, when we look externally and say, my purpose in this world is to impact other people, how do I do that to the best of my ability without getting it perfect so I look good along the way? When we do that, then we're ready to unleash ourselves in the world. Until that, to some extent, and this might sound really harsh, you're doing it for the wrong reason. I'm not talking about you, Philip, but I'm talking about people. We're doing it for the wrong reasons because it's more egotistical driven than impact driven. Welcome to Your Next Chapter, the podcast dedicated to providing you with the game changers and experts to tackle the next chapter of your life. Whether you want to start a business, switch your career, or just get inspired, I provide you the guests to give you tactics, strategies, and mindsets to build the life you want and crush your next chapter. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to today's episode. Today's guest is Philip McKernan. I am so excited to have him here on the show. He was on the stage at Art Angel Summit speaking with the likes of Seth Godin, Gary Vaynerchuk, and so I'm blown away to have him here today. Philip McKernan is a public speaker, but more importantly to me, what he is, he's one of the best coaches that I know. He's highly intuitive and he's worked with a few people in my network and he's influenced people that I know, including the likes of Giovanni Mauricio, who is the founder of Archangel Summit, Tim Collins, who is the founder of the Anxiety Podcast and others. And he really is one of those coaches that has shifted people's lives. People that were in one career are now in a completely different career. And I feel he has a profound impact through his retreats and what he does. And so I'm super excited to talk to him today about intuition, about making those shifts and figuring out how do you figure out what is your true gift in life? Because this is really what Philip does. He helps people figure out what their gift is. One of his favorite sayings, and it's a quote by Pablo Picasso, is the meaning of life is to find your gift. And the purpose of life is to give it away. And so, Phil, I'm excited to have him here on the show today. He is also the producer of the movie Give and Grow, which I'll be giving away a copy of. Check out the end of the podcast to hear how that's going to work. And he also runs One Last Talk, where he works with everyday people, Joe Blows, to give a talk if they could only leave one piece of advice if they were to pass away, what would they want to say to the world? And I was at the event in Toronto and it blew me away what ordinary people that don't really identify themselves as public speakers, what they were able to tell and share. And it was a profoundly impactful weekend. And so I'm super excited to have Philip. So without further ado, here is Philip McKernan. On the line with me, I have Philip McKernan. Philip, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with me and my audience. I am so excited to have you as a guest on my podcast. So thank you for taking the time to sit down with us today. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. I hear you're joining us from Boulder, Colorado. What is happening in Boulder, Colorado for you right now? Well, right now, the leaves are falling off the trees outside my door. I'm looking up into the mountains, but the sun is out, which might piss a lot of your Canadian listeners off because uh, it tends to be quite sunny here a lot of the time, uh, but the temperatures obviously are dropping, but not a lot, which is actually kind of cool. Uh, this is my kind of haven. I retreat back from the world. I tend to speak and do a number of things around the world, and then I uh, basically come back here and I basically unplug from the world, which is uh, which is kind of cool. So is that like a creative space for you there or are you doing like some kind of workshops or what exactly is Boulder for you? Yeah, we, we've been living in Vancouver in Canada for the last eight years and uh, we were ready for a bit of a change. Uh, Vancouver's beautiful. The Canadian people are beautiful. Um, it was 
just we just needed to shift it up. Um, I'm a big advocate of just shifting your life up a little bit. I don't mean turning it upside down, but I mean just rattling it a little bit every every so often. Get get rid of the cobwebs, the dust, and and seeing what's real and what's important to you. Uh, sometimes you almost need to let something go temporarily to realize what how important it is to you and how much of an essence it is or how how much a part of you it is. So for us, we moved to Boulder uh, five weeks ago, and and we're going to be here for a while. We don't know how long. It could be a year, two years. It could be fifty years. We don't know. Um, but to me, I, I don't have any clients here. I don't have family here. Um, I'm not looking for clients here. To me, this is a place I come back and I just retreat from the world. Is it a creative space? Yeah, I suppose to some extent it is. That wasn't the purpose. It's just to have a place where we can, um, you know, nurture ourselves and just have have just just this very very simple life. This podcast is called Your Next Chapter, and I like asking every single guest that comes on the show what, to start off with this question. So the question for you, if your life was a book title, what would be the title of your book? I, I've i actually – I've had a title for a book for a number of years, and I don't mean a marketing title, a book that will sell, a book that I think is representative of the journey that, that, I've, um, that I've embarked in this world. And the title would be No Thank You, Mr. President. No Thank You, Mr. President. Um, I won't bore you with all the details around that, but many years ago I was asked to caddy, um, and caddy for those of non-golfers means that you basically uh, pull or carry the golf clubs of somebody else. Um, but I was asked to caddy for the guy, the president of Ireland at the time, and um, it was a very, it was a very um, incredible experience for me because of what I realised in that space is I didn't put anybody on a pedestal and um, even the president of Ireland at the time, um, I, I was I had a degree of respect and uh, it culminated in basically at the very end of the round, um, two things happened once I found one, I found my voice. So I had the courage to take on the president and challenge him on a on a, on a shot he was going to take. He listened to me and it worked out brilliantly. And secondly, is he asked me for lunch and I said, no, thank you, Mr. President. And uh, on the way home, my mother almost crashed the car when she realized that her little son had turned down the president of Ireland for lunch. Uh, but to me, it represents a title that has a bigger story, and that is we should never put anybody on a pedestal, that no one is better than us, that we are all equals um, in, in many respects, and that when we do that, we, we, we basically lower our own personal value. And I think that's the sadness that I see in the world is that people don't value themselves enough and therefore push themselves into better places, better relationships, better work, more impact, etc. And were you just genuinely not interested in having lunch with him? I'm curious to know what was the rationale or the thought process going on in your head behind like, you know what, here's the president of Ireland, but I'm not interested in having lunch with you. Yeah, it wasn't that I wasn't interested. I mean, again, you know, I hope people don't take that piece of it because it's not that I wasn't interested. I just, my mother was waiting in the car park and um, I told my mother I'd be there, whatever, one o'clock. And this was like, you know, one o'clock and the president said, come in and have lunch. And um, I just didn't feel the need to stand up my mother for the president of Ireland. And, um, you know, I didn't, was I devastated that I couldn't do it? No. Was I, was I curious? Yeah. Would I, would I have done it if I had the time? Absolutely. I mean, it's a great honor. Uh, I mean, there's just no way in that environment he, he technically should should have been asking me should in commas to uh, to lunch because I was the kind of the, the 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 young little young kid who basically just carried his bag but it was representative of him because he was obviously a very honorable guy that he didn't feel that he was above me and and secondly I think I I was brought up as a kid not to be, believe I was better than anybody not a degree of arrogance but just to just to not I never remember the specific conversation Philip I just remember it just an overriding feeling that 
just so you know, no one is better than you. You're, you're, you're as good um, as anyone out there in this world. And uh, despite my own lack of confidence and stuff like that, that is something that has emerged later in my life. And it definitely comes from the early parts of my life. And I totally agree with that, that everyone is equal. And so, you know, just being respectful to your mother, the fact that she was waiting in the car, you wanted to honor that agreement. And so I admire you, you know, sticking to that commitment as opposed to just jumping on the lunch because a lot of people would have been all over that offer with the president. Yeah, probably. And, and I, and I, you know, I mean, even to this day, I mean, you know, people, I'm very fortunate I get to speak and at audiences. I don't speak a massive amount and not the big name speaker that people, um, you know, are sometimes can, you know, kind of wrap off the top of their tongue type of thing. But uh, I do love speaking and I feel that, you know, I'm here, I'm here to, to deliver a message. And I, and I sometimes feel that, if people resonate with the message and they love the or love the message or respect the message, that's a wonderful thing. But you know, I'm, I'm, I get a little bit uncomfortable when people put me on a pedestal and start making me out to be something I'm not, because I'm very good at what I do um, in a coaching environment and helping people get clear on who they are and what they're here to do. Um, but you know what? You know that person is equally very, very good at painting, and that person is equally very good at building something else. So again, we're we have all we've all got these talents and gifts. I just don't believe that mine is any better than anybody else's, quite frankly. I do want to get into your speaking and your coaching, but prior to diving into that, I read that about a decade ago, you were pretty unhappy with your life. The thing that I read said you're basically a dead man walking and you're rich on paper, but poor in life. So I'm curious to know, what did your earlier chapters look like? What were you doing over 10 years ago that didn't bring you a lot of fulfillment in life? And then what was the transition? What was the, the turning point for you that made you realize that, you know what, there's more to me in life than what I'm doing right now? Yeah, I mean, I, I was I was doing I, I always picked kind of sexy businesses. I mean, that's the one thing I was very good at. So I worked in the vitamin business. Um, I worked for a very reputable company in that space. Then I worked in the wine business. Uh, um, I basically had headed off traveling around the world. Uh, I think sometimes we think that traveling around the world is for either students who have no money or you do it when you're retired. And I just did in the middle of my career, if you like, or maybe not the middle, but in, in certainly the middle part of my career. I went to my MD or my boss at the time and said, I'm, go I'm done. He said, you want more money? And I said, well, no, you know how I operate. I wouldn't. If I wanted more money, I'd just come in and ask you for it. And if you said, yes, great. And if you said, no, so be it. But I went off traveling for a year and I basically I built it around um, um, uh, making wine and making wine sounds very elaborate. It was basically a cellar rat in a winery during a vintage in Australia. And I ended up kind of getting involved in the business of wine. Um, I think the, the biggest catalyst, I mean, what I was doing really back there 10 years ago was trying to find out, you know, what was what was my passion in inverted commas in terms of like, what was I here to do? And uh, I was looking a lot outside of myself at that point for external things to make me happy, to give me the freedom, whether it was money, whether it was business, whether it was a business, whether it was relationships, whether it was intimate relationships. Um, and and, and the, the only relationship I never uh, put under the microscope and really looked at or contemplated was the one uh, within my own skin and the relationship that I that I meet in the mirror every single day. Um, and that was causing me causing me to to look externally for for things that made me happy and brought meaning into my life. Uh, I think the biggest catalyst of this, there's, there's been a number of subtle and maybe significant ones. The biggest one, I think, was when I went to Sri Lanka a year after the tsunami and uh, spent a day in an orphanage there. And there's a there's a backstory to how that happened. It was very serendipitous, very accidental on purpose, so to speak. 
And I ended up spending this day in an orphanage on the one year anniversary of the tsunami where some of these kids, you know, perhaps parents were basically just taken by a wave and, and were left isolated and, and, and with nothing. And what it did was it gave me perspective and uh, it allowed me to look at my life in a very, very different way. And when I came back from that trip, I had shifted. You know, people come back and say, oh, my God, I changed. I didn't change 100 percent, but I definitely something opened in me. And I came back. I looked at my life differently. And for the first time in my life. I realized I had choice and the the emergence or the possibility that perhaps I had a gift, not a talent, but I had a gift that I was here for a bigger purpose started to emerge. Um, and actually, ironically, that's been the the uh, inspiration for the film that we uh, were just about to launch in a, in a month or two. And when you say something opened in you, did you not recognize that you had a gift or a talent before? Was there like a shift inside you that happened or what was that thing that changed for you? Yeah. And it wasn't like a full shift where I could walk out of that orphanage and said, oh, I'm here to speak and connect with people and help them connect with themselves or any of that stuff. It was just very, very subtle. It was very, very subtle. I sometimes see people that, you know, read a book, come back from a seminar, or come back from a retreat. And I hope they never come back from my retreats like this, um, where they come back and they go, oh, my God, I'm just so different. Am I ready to take on the world? And a lot of it's they're intellectually telling themselves something, but the emotion hasn't followed. In other words, they haven't opened up emotionally. So for me, maybe I'm just very slow, but it was just a, just an inkling, just a little crack in the door. Someone just unlocked a door, something, and it just began to dream what was possible outside of the story I had already lived and the story I was telling myself that I was going to live the rest of my days. Interesting. And it wasn't, by the way, there wasn't, it wasn't a strategy. It wasn't a tactic. It wasn't a roadmap. It wasn't, um, this visualization. It was something opened in me, like deep down in my soul. And it was, I think I could, if, if I had to try and I'd never been asked to describe it, but I got out of my head, uh, which I think is a place where most people are lost in this world today. So many people are living in their heads and it's not working and it never is going to work and it's getting worse as humanity. I think I just dropped into my soul a little bit. And I, and I think what really happened was I listened to my, I started to re-listen to my intuition, which was always there. I just didn't trust it. And the, the intuition was a little purr, a little whisper. And uh, I gave it a little bit of respect about around that time. And my intuition was telling me what I didn't want to hear. What I didn't want to hear, and that was, McKernan, what you're doing right now is not in alignment with who you are. You know it, and I know it. Now, we can address it today or tomorrow or next year, or you can leave it till the day you die and lie there with regret. Um, so it was the beginning, and, and it was a number of years later. Uh, well, actually, not a lot, but maybe a year or two later before I said, okay, I made my first change, and that was leaving Ireland and moving to Canada. Let's just back up a little there with you just said about living your head. And this is something my coach, when we first met, he's like, you're very much in your head. And he's always encouraged me, Javon Langford, to drop down into my heart, into my body more. And I feel this is a really big thing that I've noticed. And maybe it's because it's um, a pain point or something that I'm working on in my life right now. But for people that are hearing this expression of living in your head is something that I really believe in. We're very logical and cerebral. How can people tap into their body more? Like what advice would you give for somebody even like me or somebody listening to this about how do you connect with your body more? And if you want to call it intuition, like whatever way you want to describe it, like I'd be even curious to know your take on it. Is it intuition or are we trying to get more present with our feelings? Like what is it that someone's trying to accomplish when they're trying to get out of their head? Well, you know, it's, it's, it's a, there's a number of, of points I'd like to make about that. Some people say they're hardwired and they're more intellectual, they're more heady. And I don't believe that for one second. I don't believe that, 
you or I or anybody else for that matter is wired, like they have this certain wire that goes from their brain to their heart, or in some cases their brain to their heart wire is actually severed. Um, you know, so I don't believe that. I think I think the way we are and how much we live in our head is dependent on our story, our own personal narratives. And 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 I think living in our heads basically represents one huge upside, and that is we don't have to feel. And the reason that people avoid feelings is because they're very uncomfortable with those feelings because they weren't brought up in a classroom of life, meaning your home, um, encouraged to feel that feelings were suppressed, feelings were pushed away, tears only happened behind closed doors. Our parents were never vulnerable. Um, and this is not for everybody, but for many people. Um, and uh, we weren't shown how to feel. We we're shown how to ride a bike. We we're shown how to ride a skateboard. Maybe we we're shown how to use a PlayStation. I don't know, you know, wh- wh- when they came in, but we were shown how to, you know, write books or, or write or read books or whatever. But but very few people are shown how to feel. And um, so we basically that is our classroom. And but depending on the classroom that we came up in and what we witnessed uh, through the lens of our parents and society determines really who we are today. The other reason we live in our heads is because we want to protect ourselves, because we don't want to feel the pain that we felt as a kid. And living in our heads allows us to live this absolute utter illusion that we're safe when we don't feel because we we're afraid that if we start to feel the pain that we once experienced, that we would get lost in that pain because perhaps it was dark. And what I'm suggesting is that we all have this innate, um, not just ability, but this innate inherent, um, you know, situation or not situation, but just, um, you know, a natural organic uh, feeling as a human. And that is to, to feel so much more. So we've already had it. So if someone is living too much in their head and they recognize that perhaps it doesn't serve them, which by the way is very, very difficult to do because logical people are so used to living in their heads, they don't necessarily see that they're losing out. So Spock, for example, in Star Trek, uh, to use a kind of a silly example, Spock doesn't know any different. You know, he's very logical and and uh, and yet, despite the fact that he's so logical and had been trained to be so logical, that he desperately yearns to be loved, to be seen like every other human being in the world, because he's a human after all. He's not um, he or he's part human, I should say. After all, he's not a machine. So what I look for with people who believe there's value in getting out of their heads is, OK, what's blocking it? Let's assume it's already there. The communication, if you want, the feeling between the head and the heart is already exists. What's blocking it? And that's a different conversation where most people are saying, how do I find more intuition? What strategies and tactics do I need to embrace? What what do I need to learn that I don't already know? And to me, that's very intellectual, ironically, um, solution for an emotional challenge. And so would you just invite people to spend more time present in their emotions, like maybe sitting still, meditating, like that would really be the focus to tap into their emotions more? No, I don't believe I don't know. Absolutely. One hundred percent not. And I'm probably the only person that's saying this in the world right now. I do not believe meditation is the answer to this. I do not believe meditation is the answer to this. There's so many people out there in the world using meditation uh, in a very effective way to enhance their experience on this earth. But there's also a ton of people out there using meditation to mask the stresses, the anxieties, the misalignments that they have in their lives. They're using meditation as a bandaid to not to face the reality that maybe in an area of their life they need to make a fundamental change to honor who they are on this earth that they need they're executing their gift they're sorry they're executing their talents every day but they're not honoring their gifts so to me people's go-to when it comes to getting out of your head i know some of the headiest people i have i've ever met meditate every single day i know some of the headiest people and some of the angriest people do yoga all the time so it's not about just meditating because but and, and people who are listening to this who have tried meditation and it hasn't worked will might just 
sigh for the first time, a sigh of relief. Finally, somebody's given me permission that it doesn't have to be meditation as the gateway and the answer to intuition. I have been told I'm a very intuitive individual. I feel stuff. If someone sits in front of me and they try to bullshit me about their story, about what their real challenge is, or tell me how aligned they are when I feel they're not, I can feel it a million miles away. I don't meditate. I to the same extent that most people do. I meditate maybe once a week, once a month, twice a month, depending on how I feel. But I don't have this regimental meditative practice. I'm not saying it's no value. I just it's not required in order to be intuitive. It's not. But if you deal with the emotions that we haven't dealt with, the stories that we haven't dealt with, the pain that we haven't dealt with, if you get in touch with your story and you understand, not even understand, but are deeply aware of who you are on this planet, what your identity is, what your gift is. And then you say, okay, now I want to meditate. Great. That'll help deepen the process. But if you haven't done that work, I believe there's no meditation in the world that would bring you there. Interesting. It uh, brings up for me, part of my story and my audience will know this. I was working in Vancouver um, last year around this time for a boutique investment firm and I'd launched this podcast and as time went by, they offered me a promotion to take on my own territory. And I was doing really well in sales. And when they offered me the promotion, they also required me to do this course and it'd just be more responsibility, more obligations. And as soon as like I went and reflected on it, like deep down in my stomach, I knew I couldn't take that promotion. And it was like, and I hadn't experienced my intuition speaking to me so strongly and clearly in a really long time. And out of nowhere, this feeling came in the bottom of my stomach saying like, you can't take this promotion. And on paper, it all made sense because I would have gotten more commission, a better base salary. Like I just would have made more money. And logically, it was the right thing to do. But I knew something about it was just deeply wrong. And so I said no to the promotion, assuming that they would just let me you know, keep my job because obviously I was doing well. They offered me a promotion, one of their top sales guys. And within 24 hours, they let me go of my job. So I went from living a very cushy life in Vancouver to all of a sudden like, well, I guess I'm all in on this podcast. And these gifts and talents that I've always had and the reason why I started the podcast, it means I really need to go stronger on it because the job and security that I just had was just taken away from me like in one fail swoop. And so it was a very interesting chapter for me and a pivot in my life to really start listening to that intuition and connecting with my emotional body again. Yeah, absolutely. Good for you. And, you know, the one thing that, you know, people, you know, underestimate we, we the, in society. And again, I'm not the anti-meditation guy. I'm not. I just don't think it's 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 it, it's the it's the single answer. I just don't. I, and and I've, I'm a living, breathing example of that. My clients, I mean, if you'd met my clients today and you asked them, you know, you know, what are some of the greatest breakthroughs they've had? It's not in meditation. It's in these conversations that they don't want to have. It's in, you know, unresolved emotions. It's, you know, anger based stuff. It's getting clear in who they are, starting to understand, uncover and unleash their gift on the world. It's, it's having awkward conversations with loved ones. It's, it's misaligned, you know, moving and getting into more alignment in the work they do or changing, pivoting their businesses to actually shift their business to honor who they are as opposed to working for their business. Um, it's based mainly in those areas. Now, the meditation then has enhanced their experience. So that's the point. But one of the most underestimated things in the world is just is, is space. It's just taking space. So forget about meditation just for a second. It's just this notion of just taking space. I, I sat in Toronto last week, Philip, and sat in front of a beautiful human being. I, I've really got to know or starting to get to know this guy, I should say. And, and I'm really falling for this guy. And in, 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 in in the, in the, it's just such a great guy and he, I'm very fortunate he's done some work with me 
And he was asking me, what are you doing this afternoon? And I, and I had a busy schedule. I said, nothing. And he goes, no, no, no. But what do you mean by nothing? Like, obviously, you've got – and I said, no, nothing. I said, I might go for a coffee and bring a journal. He goes, oh, you're going to brainstorm. I said, no, no, I'm not going to just bring a journal, doodle, um, stare at people or, or look at people, people watch. I might go and have a reflexology. I might just go for a walk. And he just goes, wow, that's so weird. And I said, well, thanks for the compliment. He goes, no, no, not you. You are weird anyway, McKernan. But he said, I can't imagine what it would be like just to take time. And people think about space equally physical space, like, in other words, going in a cabin on my own for a night. But there's mental and emotional space. And sometimes just to be with yourself can be one of the most excruciating, difficult things to do. To me, the most powerful thing that I do is probably every quarter uh, at least every six months, I go away for two or three days on my own. And people has have and probably continue to do is judge me. And they go, but what about your wife? What about your kids? I go, what about them? If my wife wants to take space, she's she's more than welcome to do it. I'm not doing this for my wife, even though she's a beneficiary of this. My kids are a beneficiary. I'm doing this for me. I'm doing this for the work that I do, the clients that I serve. And just taking space and just being without technology is magic because a number of things, number one is it's very uncomfortable initially. And that in its own self is a wonderful process to go through is figuring, not even figuring out, but being with how uncomfortable I am within my own company that I can't even sit with myself without a radio, without a whatever. And I'm not talking about meditating. And then it gets better. And then you start to enjoy, you start to look forward to these times without the guilt associated with leaving your family and uh, behind because, you know, you know, I work, my work is, is, is pretty engrossing in terms of emotionally. It, 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 it has a cost on me. Um, and that, and that to me is very, very underrated. And I think that is one of the, one of the, one of the cool things that I do. And I think it really nurtures me and allows me and makes me more available for everybody around me. Since we're on the topic of, you know, getting clear and clarity and this is what you do, there's a question I had prepared for you about this. There's a quote uh, on your Twitter and it's, I'll read it to you a couple of times. Often we need to let go of the things we know in order to discover who we are. And the quote's by you, so I'll read it again. Often we need to let go of the things we know in order to discover who we are. So what are those things that we need to let go? Because it seems we're kind of on this topic of, you know, creating space and letting go. What is it that people need to let go of in order to really discover what their purpose is or who they are in this world? Anything that's defining who they are, anything that has defined who they are, anything that re represents the story that Tom says. And by the way, they don't have to let anything go. It's just an invitation. Um, because when you think about letting go, what people do is automatically go to the words of giving up. They don't think about letting go. Giving up and letting go are so, so connected for most people. I think they're completely different. To me, letting go of something is, is letting go of it temporarily or just emotionally letting go of it. It's not giving up on it. It's not turning your back on it. It's not saying I failed it. It's not saying this is not working. It may turn out to be that way. I just think that we, we build this, we build these, we build these these lifestyles, we build these walls around us, and sometimes these you know we end up imprisoning ourselves and and each bar of the cell it represents something that, like you say, for example, a mortgage and my anti mortgages no, just so people don't get oversensitive i I think sometimes you know the mortgage can get in the way i think we 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 put another stake in the ground, which is um you know some unresolved you know conversation or story that we haven't talked. We put another one in the in the in in the ground to say. Um, you know, I'm not good enough. I'm, I'm not here. To, I don't have a gift. Other people do. I don't. We put another one and in the ground, another belief, uh, uh, another story we tell ourselves that I can come back and do what I love or what I want to do in the future when I build enough financial 
wealth and I'm free. I don't have the choices. And we keep putting these stakes in the ground. These are metal bars in the ground and we, we turn as we do it. And before you know it, we've built this fortress in which we're imprisoned within the context and confines of our own lives. I did it myself. I see so many of my clients do it. And I think sometimes we need to look at what do we need to let go of, even temporarily to understand, like even think about religion. Are you Catholic? Are you Protestant? Are you Buddhist? Are you, are you, because that's what you really believe in your soul? Are you, in my case, a Christian because my parents were and I came up, I was brought up in a Christian world. For me, the invitation is to let go of Christianity, for example, and anything and just you replace religion with anything. Let it go of it emotionally so you can really look at it and really look at it without that 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 overwhelming guilt and pressure to believe in something and then decide let go of it you know push it almost let go not push it away but just let go of it and let it let it just move away from you and then say actually you know what i do believe in that i believe in aspects of that but i also believe in this and really to start to decide so for when i came back from sri lanka that's what i started to do and about a year later, we said, we're going to go to Canada and we're going to spend a year in Canada and leaving Ireland as painful as it was, the things that we did, the stories that we told ourselves, the friends that we had, we weren't turning our back on them. We just needed to know, was this really who we are or is this just the place we found ourselves? And there's there's some truth in that. And reality is I found something that lay way deep, more deeper within me and something that was dormant and probably would have stayed dormant if I'd never left Ireland. So for someone who is seeking clarity and alignment, it's playing with this idea of letting go of things temporarily, things that we identify with. It's about maybe looking at that because that's something I truly fundamentally believe and letting go of that for a brief period of time. And then if that is something you identify with, like being Christian, then it's about, okay, this is something I believe in, but maybe I should be looking at A, B, and C as well. Yeah, but even think about it, like, you know, you use the word identity, great, really great, uh, you know, way to look at it. So I've spoken, you know, in the Pentagon, I've spoken at, you know, um, military bases all over the states. I don't believe in the military. I don't believe what they stand for necessarily. I just love people. The biggest challenge the military have is that 22 military personnel in the, UN, in, in the United States are committing suicide every single day. And it doesn't account for the thousands and thousands around and around the peripheral who are basically, you know, drug addicts and alcoholics and, and, and pushing themselves full of all sorts of antidepressants, etc. The challenge is, and I said this literally at a high-end meeting in the Pentagon, I said, guys, you're all saying this is a military issue. It is not a military issue. It's a human identity crisis. The same principles happen when a mother waves goodbye to her 18-year-old kid and the, the last kid, and then she closes the door to be met by absolute silence in the home looks in the mirror and says, okay, you've poured 12 years of your life or obviously 18 years of your life, but the last 12 years of your life, you never stopped and looked at yourself and said, what can I do? Who am I? What can I do in this world? You've let it go and let it go and let it go. And now you're wondering who you are, the business owner that loses themselves, their identity in their business. I have so many entrepreneurs that I work with who have lost themselves in their business and it's very detrimental to a number of fronts. Number one is their exit strategy. They'll end up sabotaging the exit and never realizing the value of their business because their identity is so enmeshed in it. Even if they get a good deal, they'll justify and rationalize that it's not the right time to sell. It's not because of the money. It's because they don't want to let go of the very thing that is the essence of who they are. So this is an identity crisis in the world today. We're defined in many cases by what we do as opposed to who we are. And I think that needs to change. Um, as long as you're defined by something that lies externally and outside of you, it controls you and you never fully show up. 
a part of you never fully shows up and you can never fully realize your gift and your your space and, and place in this world to impact other people. Yeah, and the thing that comes up for me, I, I came forward about being bisexual on my podcast about four months ago. And as a man, that was a very hard thing to do because in my mind, it's like, you know, I was brought up in a Catholic household. So like straight was really the only option in my household. But then even then you're like, am I gay? And for the longest time, it was like a decade long struggle of really identifying with which sexuality do I prefer. And I was like, well, why do I have to pick one or the other, right? It's like, for me, it seems I can flow between the two. And it's not that I'm like locked down to one. But that was a real struggle to even identify myself as bisexual because it was so unclear and vague. And people are like, well, how can you like both, right? Because it's just not, you know, people like you're being greedy, like women and men. And it's just like, but it was a real struggle for me to really let myself be in full of expression. And just knowing that I don't have to identify with one or the other. I can just be the way that I want to be. And that was a really big thing for me to come forward on. That's huge. And, 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 and that pressure to put yourself in, you know, to put a, either to be, to be put in a box by others or to put yourself in a box, to put a label on yourself and this pressure to find our passion, you know, this, this insane pressure around the world to find your passion and live it. It's, it's, it's insatiable. It's just unbelievable. It's overwhelming. And a young man had a coaching call with a young guy who's 18 years old and uh, from the UK, from London, I think, uh, yesterday. And uh, I just said to him, you know, when I was 18 years old, the last thing I was considering was my life and my purpose and all that kind of stuff. Honest to God, the last thing. And I'm not suggesting that's right either. And I said, but, you know, the, the, the biggest challenge I find with you today is just this overwhelming, overwhelming pressure to find your passion. I'm curious to know where that where does that come from? Like, where where is that pressure come from? He said, oh, no, it's just on myself. And I said, no, 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 it's not just a and yourself i said yeah you, you've done that but i said it started somewhere and of course we tracked it back to the source if you want to call it that and it gave him this wonderful sense of freedom and he literally this 18 year old uh, man is getting off the phone going shit i don't need to name it i don't need to figure it out that i can experiment i can try i can try three different things and through a process of elimination alone i'll get clearer and clearer and clearer and he went away freer even by two percent to me is a win but it felt like it was a lot more than that so this pressure to label ourselves and and, and i had a gentleman actually who um was bisexual and he basically came to a retreat with me and we did a uh, this particular one is a deep dive in your story and ironically for him um he actually came away with uh with a lot more clarity and it was more uh, in one space than the other. Um, but he was he was living out and he was confused and he was uncertain. Um, but the reason for that is he didn't know his story. He just did not know who he was because I can't speak for you, Philip, and where, whether you were brought up in Canada or partly in Poland, I don't know. But when I was brought up in Ireland uh, and I walked the, walked the corridors of my classrooms, um, there was never any classroom that said, hey, come on in here and get to know who you really are. Uh, every classroom had a name on it and it was a lot of information like algebra and stuff like that that they were shoving down our necks without giving us a choice that quite frankly i've never used and i never will use in my life but no classroom ever said hey come in and get to know who you are let's leave the information and the intellect aside start to figure out emotionally what 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 matters to you what turns you on what fires you up what saddens you what makes you happy uh, what do you believe um, that that conversation doesn't exist because as a kid you're told what to do when to do it, where to do it. Um, and then now you have to find and, and, and build a puzzle later in life. And it's very challenging to do that because we weren't encouraged to live like that. I totally agree. And that was a big reason to start this podcast, to have conversations that you're not going to have in school or growing up. And I feel there's a lot of 
conversations and culture that are not happening and they're starting to happen more and more like through the archangel summit and different places like that but these are in the man talks and you know connor beaton places like that where people can be more authentic and vulnerable to really connect with their true selves well i just came off it's funny you say that i just came off a two-day speaker retreat so i created a concept called one last talk and um i came off a two-day speaker retreat where i take basically the eight speakers that are going to be speaking at the event and um, they have to come with a 15 minute one last talk the last talk they'll ever give before they die and then i work with them to extract the best story um, and i don't mean the best as in the coolest i mean the, the best version of their truth and it is absolutely staggering to me how courageous these men and women that they're prepared to get on a stage and share parts of their story that um you know may not make them look that good you know that people may judge them but they're doing it with one serious intent and that is my invitation and challenge to them is that this journey is not about you so you know the, and people said this concept won't work and and of course they're you know that's not necessarily true it, it, it is working and um I, I you know giovanni for example is going to be speaking at it um who you know and uh, they're getting up there and sharing a part of their truth that no one has ever heard before and they're doing it with the sole intention of impacting other people and letting other people know that despite whatever pains and joys they have in their life that they're not alone um and it's it's not just airing um or washing uh, in public it's about doing it in a way that really can give people hope and even beyond hope, like actually even some practical reality that actually whatever I've experienced, I can move through that and beyond it and make an impact in the world. For someone who's looking to grow and evolve and make an impact, and I want to ask you and slightly selfish question, how did you get into public speaking? Like this is something that I'm trying to get into and do more coaching. And so when you decided to move into this space, what did that look like for you? Because a lot of people, when they start these new ventures, it's very scary, daunting. They feel it's not going to work. They're themselves are their greatest demon. So what did that look like for you and how were you able to overcome that? Well, you just answered it. Um, in, in, in some respects, with you know, the question, sometimes the answer is in the question. I mean, you, you talked about something that you want to get into and, and people are curious and stuff like that. Then you move into, you know, but they're afraid of failure. They're afraid of this. They're afraid of that. They're afraid of the other. And of course, that's the point. They are afraid. They are worried. It's all about them. That's the point. People make speaking about them. They make, you know, uh, ventures and business about them. They make launching a podcast about them. But what if it doesn't work? Well, basically, if you translate that as what if it doesn't work, how will I look? What if people, if I stand on the stage and no one claps, that basically it's all about you. What if no one gives me a standing ovation? That's all about you. What if I make a mistake? That's all about you. So right now, that's the, that's the dialogue that most people come to me with. And they don't want to hear the truth. They want to hear the 10-step process to becoming a better speaker or a speaker and how to do it and how to strategically launch it and all that. They don't want to hear the truth. And the truth is when they're coming to me and saying, Philip, how do I, how do I do what you do? Or how did you do it? How could I emulate that? How could I model what you do? And I'm going to go, well, number one is I'm curious to know why you want to do it. Okay. A lot of people don't really understand the why. They say, oh, I want to make a difference. No, though they don't. They want to do something specific. Either it's ego-based or they, 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 they intuitively want to do one thing. And I believe this in humanity. Every single human in this world wants to make a difference in a positive way. How we go about it might look different, but you know, we want to make a difference. Secondly is to this, and this is my – I've done the greatest, deepest dive you wouldn't believe. And I've done case study after case study after case study. Um, and that is that when it all is said and done, we want to, as humans, come back and either one fast track or two eliminate the pain for somebody else that we experienced ourselves. You work with anybody long enough and deep enough, 
Every one last talk speaker, when you strip it all away, wants to share their pain and how they move beyond it to some extent for one purpose. Not because they want their ego massage, not because they want to be up in lights, it's because they don't want other people to experience the pain that they themselves experience. We're so protective. That is ultimately, so uncovering people's gifts, helping them understand it and helping them unleash it in the world has become my mission. People think I'm a coach, that I coach people to live a better life. I used to do that. That's not what I do anymore. My work is all about uncovering people's gifts, helping them to align that gift to a bigger purpose that's beyond them and unleash it on the world. I literally walk people through that whole process. And the reason I do that is because then I get to play a tiny role in a much bigger picture. So going back to your original question is that people are making it about them. What if I, what if this, what if that? I remember bringing a lady to a, a contribution experience and she said, oh, but what, what happens when we go to leave the kids? I'll be sad. And I go, do you want to help the kids or do you want to just make yourself look good? Or do you want to help the kids or just want to protect yourself from sadness? She goes, what do you mean? I said, this is all about you. We're not there to either freak out or worry about how sad it may or may not be, which is number one is you're speculating because you've never done it before. We're there to serve these children. After that, we need to let it go. And she came on the trip and she and I asked her afterwards, I said, was it sad? She goes, no, no. She says, I left that orphanage with joy that I'd never experienced before. That's the goddamn point here is that when we stop making this journey about ourselves, when we look externally and say, my purpose in this world is to impact other people, how do I do that to the best of my ability without getting it perfect so I look good along the way? When we do that, then we're ready to unleash ourselves in the world. Until that, to some extent, and this might sound really harsh, you're doing it for the wrong reason. I'm not talking about you, Philip, but I'm talking about people. We're doing it for the wrong reasons because it's more egotistical driven than impact driven. And I totally agree with that. I'm developing my first online course right now. And even yesterday, I was putting one of the videos and I was struggling with it. And I was talking to somebody through it and they're like, well, why are you doing this? I'm like, well, I want to save people like the struggle that I went through. Right? I really want people to, you know, build the life they want, be more productive, be more efficient. All the things that I've identified, overcome their low self-worth to put out a creative project like a podcast or whatever they're thinking about. And so it really came back to the fact of like giving back. And she's like, well, focus on that more. Focus on the other people that you're serving as opposed to, you know, that you're not confident in yourself or that you don't have the experience because I was making it all about me. And that was really stunting the creative process to keep moving forward with building the course. Yeah. And there's one other there's one other little fine line in here, if I, if I may, and I don't want to put you on the spot. That's not my intention. But, you know, when it comes to saving people, I know you use that word and we, you know, we can debate that word or argue that word. And you might say, oh, well, I meant to say whatever. But but let's just even just use the word save. Um, I again, I had somebody the other day who really wants to impact their really wants nothing more in this world than to see his parents better their lives, to believe that they're worth more, to believe that they can start to deserve to look after their bodies, et cetera, et cetera. And they're one of the main reasons that he was completely unaware of this reality. He, you know, so so intellectually, he had all the, he, he gave me everything, you know, perfectly to the T. He had all the lines manufactured beautifully and he gave me everything else. And I just felt this. I said, sorry, my friend. But I said, I call bullshit. There's something deeper going on here. There's a, something driving you that you you're not in touch with. And when it came down to it, he really wants to help his mother. And he feels that if he goes out and makes an impact, that in some way, shape or form, it'll help his mother through his inspiration to change her life. And I said, my friend, that is going to be that's going to be a disaster waiting to happen. You cannot save your mother. You need to let her go. You you have to you have to because what will happen is as he starts to make a difference, goes out and opens his podcast, writes his book, speaks, whatever his 
methodology of, 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 of impact is. And he's looking over his shoulder and his mother doesn't, that's his benchmark. And the reality is as long as he's waiting for his mother to change, she won't change. So he has to let her go emotionally, not give up, as I said earlier on, let her go emotionally and do this for other people. And as he does that and lets go of the need to see his mother impact and change, that's the very time he'll get a tip on his shoulder and say, hey, son, by the way, through your inspiration, through what you've done, I've decided to do this. So you're saying the intent needs to be more genuine. It really needs to be wholehearted from inside and serving others and not making the barometer an external force or somebody else. Yeah, but also dealing with if you do a deep, deeper dive into, say, the, the, the why behind it, the source behind it. If someone wants to save people, and I'm just, I'm just using that word because a lot of people out there do. They want to save people. There's a charge around it. And what you'll find is as they communicate, as they speak, as they whatever, it comes across this charge that hasn't been um, – um, it just hasn't been processed. There's this negative charge. It's almost like you're telling people there's an urgency to it. There's something very invitational about a man or a woman in a bar who doesn't need to get uh, a one night stand, who doesn't need to find a relationship, who doesn't need to be in the company of the opposite sex or the same sex for that matter. But they, it just happens. They're very attractive. If you think about that, they're very, you get drawn to them because you, you don't think they're trying to get you into bed. So the person that's not looking for a relationship doesn't need a relationship. More importantly, is the person that's way more powerful on stage, on audio and in the world as a leader. The person that desperately wants to save people and desperately wants to, 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 to help people get through the pain that they've experienced. They have not done a deep enough dive on their story. They don't understand their pain enough, and therefore they, they're not in touch with their gift. That is something that I found to be absolutely true. And if you can help people see that, they become such a better um, or rate, like, you know, their, their, their ability to impact, not just intellectually, because there's so many people that can move people and, and fill them with more intellectual information. But can you open people emotionally and intellectually at the same time? Uh, that requires you to use not just your talent, but your gift as well. Very interesting. Finding that very fascinating. Hmm. I'm going to move on to the next question. You were on London Real recently and Congrats, by the way. I love London Real, so it's an honor to be on that show. You said something Thank quite you. interesting um, when you were on there from the clip that I watch. You've stopped chasing opportunities, and when you stop chasing them, possibilities have opened up. This is kind of unconventional wisdom, right? Because we're conditioned to chase opportunities, go after more, think bigger. And this kind of goes back to earlier in the conversation when you said, you know, you're just going to go and have some coffee and you didn't have anything planned. So, how does that work for you? Because, you know, like we've the, the mainstream idea is to keep chasing and chasing, but it seems like you have a different way of approaching it. Yeah, and I didn't. I mean, for the longest time, I chased it opportunities and, and quite often it worked out and sometimes it didn't. And I found myself, it didn't make me any happier. It didn't bring me closer to who I was. It didn't align. I didn't feel that what I was doing necessarily was in alignment with who I was. And what I found right now is that it doesn't mean I sit at home and do nothing and I wait for the phone to ring. I'm out there and I'm active. I'm just not chasing shit down anymore. And it's exactly the same principle as think about it. The guy or the girl in the bar who's chasing an opportunity called Sarah or Mary or Henry or John, who seems to be the stranger that's across the bar. If they're chasing it down, yeah, they might get the date. Yeah, they might get um, uh, to buy them a drink. Yeah, they might have sex with them. Yeah, they might go into a long term relationship. And yes, they might even get married. But 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 there's something about 
um, you know, but will they attract the right type of person? So when the, when the, when you're almost like I met my wife when I was, I, I'm telling you one thing, Philip, I was like, I, the last thing in the world I wanted was a relationship. It wasn't that I was against it, like saying I'm not meeting anybody, but I was just, I said, I'm done. I'm done with women for a while. I just don't want another relationship. It, you know, the last one was just long. It was painful. It was, it was whatever. And, um, of course, and ironically, she was in the same position. And then we met in South America of all places, which is the very place I shouldn't have been, the very place I couldn't afford to go at the time, and the very, very place that didn't feel, it didn't make any logical sense for me to go to. Yet intuitively, I trusted. I went to South America and met my wife. Um, I can give you dozens of examples. Robin Sharma uh, was at the uh, Archangel Summit uh, a couple of weeks ago. And I didn't go in. A lot of people go to these events, even as a speaker, and they go, I want to meet this guy. I want to meet this guy. And I want to have a conversation with him. And they might achieve the conversation, but is that organic, is that charge natural and organic and true to who we are? And yeah, I've, I've admired some of his work from afar. In fact, the first, I believe, if my memory serves me correct, I've only read about 12 books in my life because I, I'm, I'm totally dyslexic. And I believe his book was one of the first and only books I read from cover to cover because at the time it was very approachable and it was a, it was a story and I could relate to it in a different way. And I wasn't, att- I wasn't attached to meeting him. I said, well, if I bump into him, great. If I don't, that's fine. Where maybe four years ago, I would have said, geez, I really want to meet him. And I would have kind of stalked him and I would have been uncomfortable and I would have forced it a bit and it wouldn't have ended up being that great. I walk off the stage. I get tip on the shoulder. Um, he's asked someone to come and get me because he wants to meet me. And I go into his dressing room and Robin's there and he basically is extraordinarily complimentary. He listened to every word I spoke and was very drawn to whatever I spoke about. And I wasn't in awe. I was so respectful. I was so grateful and I was so appreciative, but I wasn't, I didn't see him as any different and better than me. And then he said, uh, or his team said, we want to fly you to Zurich to speak at, um, at, at Robin's big annual event. Um, and I fundamentally believe that that happened because I wasn't chasing the opportunity. I was open to the possibility. I absolutely 100% believe that in my soul. And one, the, the difference is this. When you're chasing opportunities, generally speaking, 99.9%, they're intellectual and they're goal driven or whatever. And when you're chasing, not chasing, when you're open, because it's a very different energy, when you're open to what's possible, it's more intuitive. And all I can tell you is, I'm not here to tell your listeners what they should and shouldn't do. All I can tell you is I and every single client that, that, that leans into my deeper work would absolutely testify to the the, the opportunities that are presenting themselves are more importantly the possibilities when they let go of chasing them. That they're more organic, they're more in alignment, they're more, you're getting phone calls out of the blue, they're meeting people, of course they're not out of the blue, that's the reality. They're just attracting better types of people into their organizations, they're attracting better clients into their organizations, their profitabilities are up and so on and so forth. So to me that's a huge pivotal point that, that I start to let go of that chasing opportunities, letting go and seeing what happened from a possibility standpoint. And uh, all I can tell you is it's working for me. Interesting. And it even reminds me of the Archangel Summit where at one point um, I heard from multiple people that Seth Godin was out and about like doing selfies in the back. And so I went chasing Seth Godin and like I wanted to meet Seth, but I wasn't overly keen. But it's funny because I bumped into Gary Vaynerchuk when I was out looking for Seth. And it's like if there's one person I went to go see at the Archangel Summit was Gary Vaynerchuk. And so it was really cool to be able to bump into him, chat with him for a little bit and get a selfie. But it wasn't like I was searching for it. And I was actually searching for one person. And then I found the person that I actually want to speak to, which I find kind of serendipitous how that works out sometimes. 
Totally. I mean, there you go. You could have told that story in 10 seconds and I rambled on for 25 and you, and, and, and yours was way more poetic and way more on point. And it's exactly the point. How many people, you know, listening to this have trusted their intuition and yet it made no sense. And fuck, it worked out. Like, I mean, it really worked out. You, you fell into the business that you, you love. You, you fell into the arms of someone you love or you fell in love with yourself or whatever, whatever it was. But then what happens is we start to second guess it and we start to say, oh, that was luck. That wasn't, like, that wasn't intuition. And we start to second guess it. And then society certainly doesn't promote intu- intuition. It tells you to figure the shit out logically, work backwards and start from that. And, and, and to me, that's, you know, I'm not saying the intellect has no purpose and, and, and value in this world. It does. I just ask people to lean in with the intuition first and let, allow the, the, the intellect to follow, to support what it is you want emotionally and then logically put it into play. That's what I'm asking people to consider. Beautiful. I know we got to get wrapping up soon because you have to uh, get going a little bit. If people want to work with you, find you, where can they uh, track you down? Philip, I, I have one request. I mean, I, you know, philipmckernan.com is my main website and that's the coaching, the retreats. But if you're okay with it, and I'm not a big advocate. If you listen to any podcast I've ever done, I'm not a big promoter. In fact, the, the, the interviewer tends to be the person kind of pushing my work more than I am because if, if people are attracted to who I am and the work that I have, they, they'll come organically. If I push it, I might get the wrong people or the wrong, or, or I'm the wrong person for them. But there's one thing I would like to mention with your permission, Philip, and that is the film that we're about to launch in the next four weeks, which has been a massive project for us, if that's okay. Go for it, yeah. Yeah, and it's just Give and Grow. Um, and giveandgrow.com is basically a film that we put our hearts and souls into. And uh, it's a message about how giving really uh, not just impacts the world, but impacts us. And it's it's a unique twist, not a, not a new twist, a unique older twist on giving. But really what's emerged through that filmmaking process is the difference between our gift and our talents. And if anybody's inclined, uh, we would love them to at least, at the very least, just look at the trailer. If they're drawn to it, wonderful. If they're not, I completely and utterly respect that. But that's something that I, I'm, I'm, I'm excited and very nervous about at the same time. And uh, it's taken a lot of time, energy and money to put it together. And I believe you're doing a Give and Grow retreat to Peru, November 13th to 21st. And it seems like it's a project that is close to your heart. So, you know, talk is the movie related to that? Like, do you want to talk a bit more about that? Yeah, I mean, it's not the film is not to promote the retreats. I mean, we were very clear on that, um, you know, indirectly. It might it might, um, you know, p- put the idea in people's heads, but that's not the purpose. It's not an infomercial. Certainly, that's not what we intended. It's it's a sta- it's the, the film is designed to stand alone, um, you know, and, and it's, it's, it's the inspiration for it was the day I, I spent in Sri Lanka, which was the, the time where my life pivoted. Um, I think the biggest challenge with the volunteer space is that you can go and volunteer anywhere in the world. You can even volunteer in your own backyard. And the challenge and the missing link, I think, is the, is this is this is this in between piece between giving back and then going home. Um, and it's like, okay, so how did it? So what I do is I my I suppose my gift I've been told is my ability to to go deeper with the questions, with the processing, with the workshop. So what I do is when we go to give and grow retreats, we we do a deeper dive into why does this impact you? How has this impacted you? What did you learn about yourself? How does this relate to your life? How does this in the how does this uh, look in the con in a con Contrasting it to your life, and more importantly, is how do you bring more of this back into your life when you go home? And um, it's been a beautiful experience for me to be involved in. So I create experiences like one last talk, like give and grow, um, that I believe people need 
uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that's what they want. It's, it, you know, and, and, and there's a big distinction there. Um, and I find that people sometimes step into these experiences. They can be a little outside of their comfort zone, but I think the growth that they get um, is immense uh, as a result of that. And is the movie Give and Grow connected to the work you're doing in Peru? Because I watched a bit about how I guess there's 20 or so girls that were sex trade workers and you're looking to build a home for them so they have a place to live and, you know, develop. Is that movie related to that project at all? It's not related directly to the project, but it's the same vein. It's about how giving unconditionally helps us grow exponentially. So yes, it's related, but it's not, it's not, there's not a direct link. Um, Give and Grow, the film basically follows 17 people who went to India. Uh, before, during, and afterwards, and the during piece being when we worked with young kids, street kids, orphans, uh, abandoned seniors, and how they opened up through that process, through that lens, and then the changes they made in their lives when they come back. So it's very much a personal growth journey, um, and it just follows people in real time in in a foreign land, giving back unconditionally. And I'm not talking about giving toys and giving money. I'm talking about giving of themselves. And we talk about science. We bring in a neuroscientist. We bring in, um, you know, specialists who talk about how giving, not just scientifically, but also emotionally, really impacts us as human beings. Amazing. Well, thank you for your time today, Philip. It was great talking to you. Thank you from me and my audience. And uh, hopefully we can connect again in the future. Wonderful. And thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Have a great day. Thank you. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, my conversation with Philip McKernan. The one thing that really stands out about my conversation with Philip was when we were talking about letting go of things, even temporarily, and how we hold on to things that are a big part of our identity. And the example that Philip gave even was like religion, right? If you're a Christian or Muslim, it's like, can you let go of that temporarily? Because those beliefs, those ideas, they impose on you certain ideologies. And when we can let go for a little bit, we can really start stepping into what does our soul truly want? What is our true gift? What is our true connection in this world? And so that was a big thing that really stood out for me from the conversation was letting go of things that we identify with, even just for a split moment or a day or an hour, or even exercise or longer, right? It's like, for me, like the podcast, if it's something that I overly identify with, it's like, who am I without my podcast? And so really understanding that, and that's an important thing. And so I want to leave you guys with that. One last thing, I am doing a giveaway for Give and Grow, the movie that Philip McKern has made. I was at the first ever premiere of it in Toronto at One Last Talk. It was absolutely amazing. And so I have a copy to give away. And the way it's going to work is if you, during the week, I'm going to be promoting the episode, talking about it. You take somebody in one of the Instagram or Facebook things that I share about the podcast, then you'll be entered into a draw or you can share the episode on your Facebook page or Instagram. Just make sure you tag me in it and then you will automatically be entered into a draw as well. So one of those two ways will qualify you. And at the end of the week, I will be putting all the names into a hat and drawing a winner and I'll be sending the DVD of Give and Grow to the winner. So if you want to partake in that, that would be amazing. Somebody that needs to hear this episode, if it resonated with you, just share it or tag somebody in the episode and pass it along and that will get you entered into the Give and Grow sweepstakes. So thank you so much for tuning in today. Feel free to jump on my iTunes and subscribe there and or jump on iTunes and subscribe there. Thank you so much for being on this episode and listening. And until next time.